0: This is the Resilient Disciples podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. And today I am thrilled that you are listening because this is one of my favorite guests. It might be my favorite guest. I'll let the, all of the other guests decide if I'm telling the <laughs> truth right now or not. But uh, Gina Spivey, the special abilities pastor for Calvary Westlake in California. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. And I, I um, too, loved that first conversation. So I think it was a, it's a good
0: good. I'm I'm glad, you know, I mean, even if you just had to say that the rest of the interview would be very awkward if you just were like, well, actually, I I'm it. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I want to, I was so excited to talk to you because you are, for those who haven't listened to it for a very long time, the very short version of my story is that I owe everything I have mm-hmm. to a, uh, my dad's brother who has, aut- who has autism and mm-hmm. is uh, wound up getting connected to a church where I, as an adult, um, became a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. So this is a conversation that I come to from an extreme place of passion Mm -hmm. and being able to talk to someone like you, Gina has allowed me to feel like, okay, good. Like passion is a good place to start, Mm -hmm. but we are beginning, um, a series of conversations that are all just about how we care for kids who frankly are too often ignored. Um, So I want to start on like a pretty macro level, which is, you know, people are hearing this in the beginning of uh, 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of crazy, but, um, I would imagine that COVID has kind of defined 2020. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask a very broad question, which was what was 2021 like, uh, for your ministry? What was the things, what was impacting the kids that you serve Yeah, and the adults that you serve in your case?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, well, COVID was obviously hard for all sorts of people. Um, but I would argue that for our families, it was exceptionally difficult. Um, for a lot of our, our kids and our adults, you know, their world is relatively small when it Mm -hmm. comes to, um, their therapies and their schooling and their community. And that's, sad in and of itself and, and frustrating, but that's a reality for a lot of our families and their entire community was taken away. When school went away in person, learning went away, um, therapies, in-person therapies went away, um, parent groups, you know, those kinds of just touch points, those literal lifelines for our, our families were taken away. And even just, Um, having a kid go to school in person for the day. I, you know, I'm a mother of two. I know how hard that was for me, but for our families to have all of a sudden the care that they were providing for their kids was 24 hours a day. There was Mm -hmm. literally no rest, no respite, no intervention. I mean, it was, it was tragic. It was really hard. Um, It was exceptionally hard for someone like me who, you know, really, is kind of a doer and wants to jump in and and help to not have much I could do for a period of time to help. I mean, we did a lot of our stuff via zoom, but these, you know, no one wanted one more zoom. So (laughs) especially our, our younger kids, it just wasn't applicable to them. So we had to shift how we were servicing our families and loving them and being a touch point to them by delivering things to their homes. We did a lot of one-on-one deliveries, you know, delivering 300 gift baskets and doing drive. We did multiple drive-bys where families could come drive by and we'd sing worship songs and, you know, whatever, but it just never felt like enough. It just felt so little in the grand scheme of things. Um, and it was just a really, really hard time. I mean, our ministry is, is literally in person with your hands, loving people well on, you know, on our church ground and it all of a sudden we couldn't do that anymore. So it was very hard for us. It was exceptionally hard for our families when we were able to start opening things back up again, when we were able to kind of slowly bring things back in person, one thing that we noticed just across the board at our church is that our ministry was kind of the first one where people came back full force. It was like, they just needed it. Yeah. Um, our families came back. Our, you know, attendance was the same as it was pre COVID on the first Sunday we were open oh, and wow. our volunteer. Yeah. And, and the same thing with our volunteers, like, you know, they, this, the community that's been built, they were mourning the loss just as much as I was. And as our families were, so our volunteers kind of came back full force too. So it looked a little different, you know, uh, as everything does in this not yet post COVID world, but it was, it was really hard. And now that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, it's just, I'm so ready.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I we so weary, but yeah, that's kind of what our last year has been like.
0: Well and I wanted to start there because for a couple of reasons one, I think uh, you know you're in California, right so yeah. there's there's people who are listening who this story you just told is yeah. six, eight maybe yeah. even 12 months in their rear view that mm-hmm. was much more present for you but also the story you just told sounds a lot like what most people experienced yeah and I want to just lay out, how, if you are listening to this, regardless of what your ministry mm-hmm. context look like, and then if what Gina said resonates with you, you are, you a you are in good company in a mm-hmm. wide community of people mm-hmm. who, are, who have come off of the hardest year of ministry on record.
1: It's so true. I mean, well, even our senior pastor, we were just talking about this. Just everything was hard in ministry, the divisiveness, the Arguing, you know, just all of it. Everybody's nerve endings are so exposed. Everybody's isolated. So yeah, you're not alone. If you're feeling weary at the end of this ministry year and, you know, this last 18 months, really, I I think we can all have a collective feeling about what this has done, done to us.
0: Yeah. So we, last time we talked, we talked about, um, discipleship in your ministry because Mm -hmm. in one of the many things that you said that bounced around in my head for a while afterwards Mm -hmm. was you made the point of how folks need to start with with where they're at. One of the things that strikes me about discipleship for this community is that it is like many things where people, everyone is very well-intended, yeah. but it can sort of be analysis paralysis. Totally. Oh man, how do I have all of the resources and tools and have it all figured out yet? Mm-hmm. You are someone who operates in a context where you have plenty of resources, plenty of options and leaders, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that philosophy of starting what you have yeah. has been something that has guided you throughout your ministry career. Mm-hmm. Can you help folks understand essentially what discipleship looks like in your context?
1: Yeah. Um, well, in our context, it, it is unique. It is different. I have this conversation with churches all the time. Um, and it's pretty much the same conversation. Well, you know, not in so many words, but it's easy for you. You know, you have all the resources, you have the designated space. It's just not the same for us. And to that, I say, you're right. But so what? <laughs> like maybe, <laughs>
0: not,
1: not, maybe, see, maybe this is not yet post-COVID Gina, but I have <laughs> weariness, but I, I do feel like yeah, that is my reality that we can do discipleship in a, in a unique way because of the resources that we have. And I recognize that, but I'm so tired, unsaddened by churches, just shipping their kids with special abilities to our church, because they say, you know, Oh, go to the big church down the road that has the capacity to take care of you. That's not what we're called to do. That's not disciple making. And it's not fair to our families. And it's, it's really not fair to your church body because your church body is missing out on this blessing of having these families in your context. So for us, I didn't even um, know that
0: was a thing. I mean, it makes sense that that would be a the thing, real thing. But wow. I,
1: yeah. I can tell you weekly and I don't, exaggerate weekly. I have a new family that comes to me that says that their church got to the point that they said, we just can't accommodate your needs anymore. Go to Calvary where they can do it. And on one hand, I get it. I do get it that there, you know, there are kids who have a high level of need and maybe a church is struggling to figure out how, but it's just such an easy cop out to send them to a large special abilities ministry it's it's just not necessary. So discipleship for us as far as programming is that what you're wanting to to hear no, about? Or?
0: No, I I ask that broad of a question at the start of interviews mostly because I want to hear how people answer it. Because, you know, <laughs> so maybe the way to specify this a bit is we talk about discipleship for kids in this 3b philosophy where mm-hmm. kids have to belong, highly relational, where mm-hmm. they have to believe deeply scriptural and then they become which is highly experiential. Yeah. I know from our conversations and, uh, talking to your senior pastor, Sean Thornton, a few mm-hmm. times as well, that that plays out every day, every week within mm-hmm. your ministry, mm-hmm. but some of the outputs do look a little bit different. Yeah. And I think I start with that tension for people with yeah. this ministry of this, of this people group that uses, mm-hmm. again, use a very big, broad term. I'm not trying to judge this conversation.
1: Yeah.
0: I get that. It's hard. Yeah. I understand that you might feel like you were doing that family a favor by sending them to a different Correct. church context. Correct. However, it's important to think about what is actually the best thing. Like, that is a good thing, but what is the best thing? And the best thing mm-hmm. is figuring out how the, in a local church body, you mm-hmm. can not only meet, but exceed what these families needs are because mm-hmm. that is where they are truly going to feel the sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. I think that what, under that framework of three-loop philosophy, mm-hmm. what people might have the most questions about would be believing and becoming. Mm-hmm. They can kind of get how it would be belonging. So just to narrow in on
1: mm-hmm. believing, yeah.
0: what does discipleship look like for a kid that is nonverbal? What right. does discipleship look like for a kid who has enough um, challenges where you're not necessarily sure if you are connecting with them? whether you can share specific examples or not, how do you begin to explain that to people? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I would say for, for clarity, when I first came on staff and we were just trying to do this ministry, I'll just use Awana as an example, our midweek Awana program. So obviously we do stuff on, you know, programming on Sundays and that's a whole other vein, but just for context, I'll talk about Awana. So Wednesday nights, when I first came on, we did not have a designated space. We did not have a staff of three. It was me. And there was about five volunteers who had said that they could, you know, do something. And we didn't have an Awana program specific for our kids. And so what it looked like was, just, we called it being a listening, a listening buddy. So it was really designed for kids who were in Iwana already, but who had some form of an intellectual um, differentiation or some diversified learning type. Um, And so we would just one-on-one sit with that kid and go over their verses with them and help them and give them accommodations and coaching and, you know, work with them so that they felt like they had accomplished what they came there to accomplish without just saying, Oh, well, they can't do it. So we're not going to try and, you know, help them understand this scripture, but also recognizing that it was going to look a little different for them. So we started with just that with me and two other people being listening buddies on Wednesday nights. It wasn't mm-hmm. this big wanna for me program seven years ago. Yesterday was my seven year anniversary at Calvary. And then for the first two years, oh, it looked wow. nothing like it looks now. So all that to say, you know, to the original question, it's it people always see the train so far down the track and assume that they can't get up there, but it did, we didn't start there. So the heart of discipleship is the same now as it was then, but it's one kid at a time, one lesson at a time, you know, one moment connection at a time. It isn't about this launching this giant program. And I think we can program discipleship to death. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. We have a program. Yes. We have structure. We have ways that we do discipleship, but when we program that to death and we take out the room for the Holy spirit, when we take out, you know, room for God to just do a good work, when we, when we make ourselves the disciple maker and, and not God, then that's a recipe for a lot of frustration. So What's beautiful about our the way that we get to do discipleship is oftentimes with a kiddo that's nonverbal or an adult that's nonverbal or whatever, it frees us from a lot of those structures that we've put in our own head about making disciples. And it looks a lot more like grassroots, beautiful life change where you see the fruit of somebody's spirit, you see it acted out, you see it played out and it might not look like, well, they didn't, you know, do this, this, this. So they're, you know, we haven't successfully saved them. It doesn't look like that with our kids. And that is beautiful because there's freedom to that. And there's an understanding of the role of a just and merciful and righteous God and not necessarily us you know, programming out discipleship. So we have a lot of kids, you know, the way that we do our memorization with our pictures and our hand over our hand learning and all that, those are tools to help teach scripture because I believe scripture is valuable for everyone. And I believe every kid can learn scripture by the power of the Holy spirit. Just like I need the Holy spirit to help me understand scripture. So do these kids. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe we can do that. It just is, it might not look the same when it is regurgitated out and it might not look the same, um, by a kid memorizing the books of the old Testament, you know, it just isn't. So all that to say, and the long of the short is uh, (laughs) discipleship is bigger than any program. It's bigger than any one thing. And there's a lot of beauty in recognizing that God's doing a good work and it doesn't really have to pan out. In the same context that we're so used to um, boxing it into.
0: Thousand percent. And that's, you know, we're always very careful in the context of our conversations to be like, you know, this 3B, it's not linear and it's not right. a how to guide and it's not step by step. Right. But one of the things that stands out to me, and I want to talk about sort of like the positive side of this and potential mm-hmm. tension that I see in it, which is anyone who works with kids
1: mm-hmm.
0: has to have a Superhero level of patience. Totally, and I think that for those who are in your community,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, that patience is magnified because not only because we have this expectation that discipleship is supposed to look some way like you're mm-hmm. like you were speaking mm-hmm. to. This is it's might be a bit of a clunky question, but mm-hmm. you were someone who, uh, in the in our first conversation, you said something to the effect of you'll run through a wall to help mm-hmm. the, the kids and the families in your community. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that mentality of run through a wall mm-hmm. with that patience that's required, uh, to actually see discipleship happen?
1: Not well. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I, I battle myself on this all the time. Um, all the time. But I think this is one of those things t- where I, I I say it and it sounds so hyper spiritual and it sounds so cliche and like cloudy. And I don't, I, w- I want you to know from my heart, it, I don't, I believe it truly. Um, this is where these kids disciple me. This is mm-hmm. where these kids teach me a lot because I learn from them what it looks like to slow down and what it looks like to just be.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awana. Our kids are in a faith crisis and need your help now. We need your best gift to reach even more kids with the gospel and further child discipleship, both in the U.S. and around the globe. Awana works even in the face of aggressive secularism, and the time to give is now. Give today at awana.org slash donate.
1: I try to outpace what God has for me all the time, and it never works, and it's always destructive, and it leads to a lot of hurt, and it leads to a lot of um, frustration. And so I think The the people that work with our kids, this type of ministry does require a, I wouldn't say more patience. I would say different patience Yeah. because I don't battle, like it's harder for me to be patient with a kid that has like an entitlement thing or, you know, just (laughs) doesn't want it spoiled, you know, whatever. That's a lot harder for me than a kid who's biting me or punching me like that. For that, I can have infinite levels of patience for, um, you know, Tommy entitlement, Tim, whatever mm-hmm. kid I struggle with that. So got went to high
0: school with those guys. I went to high yeah, school. With right. Same. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Same. So, <laughs> um, I think it's just a different level of patience, but I think because these kids demonstrate what it really means to just wait on the Lord and, and, mm. and their parents do too, like to watch parents demonstrate like and express out loud. We may not see healing. Like we define healing this side of eternity. We may never see, you know, our kid walk, but someday we will that that level of patience. How do you not learn from that? So yeah. that's where I go. Yeah. I'm real lucky because I just get to kind of sit back and observe that. And then along the journey, see these little wins with kids, I wish I could play, like I have videos of kids, you know, just we're laying out a five word simplified scripture. And if they say one syllable of one word, it's like, that's celebrate. That's huge. Totally. Or they point at a picture when we tell them to point to the picture, whatever. So it's these little incremental moves forward. And I just feel like it's such a beautiful illustration of what I am sure god sees in us like we think we're making these giant strides and he's like yeah you just said one syllable of one word like you're not you're not just settle and so anyway all that to say that's kind of it does require patience but i wouldn't say more i would just say different and i would say once you get it you like get it and you know you know from your experience with somebody with who's you know has neurodiversity and autism you think it's going to require a lot of patience. And then you realize like, wow, you're just along for a fun, cool ride. And not that it's always fun. I mean, I don't mean to minimize the, the hardship for families, but.
0: No, a hundred percent. Because I think that pacing thing like that you talked about, and we talked about this the first time, but it's something that I feel I, at the risk of sounding uh, egocentric. Mm-hmm. It's something that I feel like is often what my uncle is able to teach me. Totally. You know, I don't, I'm not saying that that's why God made them. Right. But that, that is a thing that I'm often reminded from him. This community is full of people who would run through the wall with their kids because frankly, this job is too hard to work in kids ministry. Um, if you know, you could do something else you would in the context of your church, but that it's so critically important, even Mm -hmm. if you're not working within a ministry like Gina's that you take Mm -hmm. the time to slow down for the sake of your kids So that your discipleship is not sacrificed at the altar of theirs.
1: Mm, Well said. Yeah. The
0: other part of this though, in preparing for this conversation, I was reminded of something people told my wife and I a lot when we were foster parents, Mm. which is, Oh man, I can never do that. And I bet you get a version of that said to you a lot of, Oh man, you are such a good person. Like, Oh man, I can never do that. And I think 99% of the time that is, extremely Mm well-intended can you speak to the sort of the problematic side of that elevation that sort of saintliness that Mm -hmm. people put on you why does that not actually serve the kids and the families that you serve well
1: yeah i I hate it um (laughs) and and it's just not true like Mm. again it's so hard it's really hard to communicate because i feel like it just sounds so like pious and no, no, really. It's not about me, but the, it really isn't like it, it really isn't. It really is selfish. I, it, I have very selfish intentions in this whole thing because I get so much more than I give. And it's, it, it sounds unbelievable. And it sounds like I said, just pious and okay but I can promise you if you serve in a special abilities ministry once you will feel the same way. And -hmm. the number of people that we have that say I come because I get something out of it. I do not come. And so when somebody says, Oh, you're such a good person. I'm like, no, (laughs) it's actually quite the opposite. And yeah, sometimes it's hard and sometimes I take it home with me and sometimes I see hard things and, you know, walking a journey with families can be tough. Sometimes families, you know, when you, um, are hurting, you t- can tend to lash out at the people that, you know, can take it. So I get that sometimes, um, or I'm like kind of a bit of a punching bag. So, but it, it all is just so welcome to me. Like I, it doesn't feel like sacrificial on any level. It really doesn't. It feels so, I feel so fortunate to be able to do it. But I, I also think that when somebody says something like I could never volunteer in that ministry or I could never, it's only fear. It really isn't about, um, it really isn't about elevating someone or, or complimenting someone as much as it is at its core fear of the unknown fear of doing something wrong fear of hurting or getting hurt. And I get it. I do. I do get it. Yeah. But I think it's just like what we were saying last time, just start. It's the same thing. Just go love someone who doesn't look like you look or mm-hmm. walk like you walk or talk like you talk. And you're going to learn a lot about yourself and you're going to learn a lot about God and you're going to learn a lot about this other person in the process. And it's not nearly as scary or as, you know, angelic for lack of a better word, as you might think that it is, it's really just not. And I also think, you know, we hear this a lot, especially with our kids with down syndrome. Um, like people always say, Oh, you know, kids with down syndrome, they're, they're all so sweet and they're all just the best and and a lot of the parents have taught me, no, they're just people. They're not (laughs) angels. They're not, they're not cute pot, you know, like cherubs. They're just humans. They're, they get angry, they get mad, they get sad, they get happy. And so when we do that too, with this ministry, we're kind of dehumanizing on a level on the opposite side, our, our kids and our adults by saying, Oh, they're just they're just so wonderful. Yeah, they are so wonderful, but at the same time, they're people. So let's yeah. just love them like people and not kind of villainize or, 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 you know, Saint eyes. <laughs> that was a good word. You should put that in a dictionary. Yeah, no, that's, saint eyes.
0: that's The title of the podcast is saint.
1: perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. You're welcome. <laughs> um, anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. I think oh. it's just, it's all kind of muddled together in not really doing life with people. When you do life with people, you start to recognize it's just people,
0: you know? Well, I want to like say something explicitly, then drill in. on one of the things that you said, which is nothing that myself or Gina would ever say about your current relationship with Mm -hmm. this community is said in a judgmental tone.
1: Of course. Yeah. Because
0: one, the last thing we want is for less people to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but also more importantly i don't want that sort of lack of judgment to take away from the urgency of this moment in the yeah. urgency of this conversation
1: yeah. because
0: when i think about coming off of where we started this conversation coming off the year that we did or the 18 months that we have yeah i guess we're close enough to 2 years i'll say start cool. saying almost 2 years
1: please Ugh. is
0: that uh these folks these people need you to love them like people Mm -hmm. now more than ever and Uh, one of the things that you said that i think is so true is that there's a fear of doing or saying something wrong yeah and i think that is universal across any sort of child discipleship context Mm -hmm. but especially in any sort of special abilities context because Mm -hmm. folks think that they're not equipped folks that they're not prepared yeah i would if you hear nothing else from this podcast i would implore you the data suggests that there is someone in your church or in your community, or both, who is passionate about this, is an expert in this, is Mm -hmm. trained in this. Mm -hmm. Get that person to talk to you and help you. Mm -hmm. Love on the people in your community Mm -hmm. who are already there. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing I want to make sure everybody understands is that there is no church in America that doesn't have an opportunity to disciple this community. Yeah. So, where I want to sort of land the plane here, because I could talk to you for six hours, is <laughs> the, one of the things that you spoke to last time, which I thought was so beautiful, was talking about how you went on this bit of this journey with your executive pastor mm-hmm. um, and how you your church context, everybody's in there during worship. Everybody's there. It's a family service. And yeah. that, that was something that you had the vision for. And I'm sure Sean... But that that wasn't universally bought into. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to what it took, let's yeah. just say, mm-hmm. to uh, manage that tension? Because it's a beautiful story to me about not only how leadership can listen to those who are doing discipleship, mm-hmm. but also what discipleship are, is actually about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it comes as no shock that the only thing that changed that whole dynamic was relationship. So, um, Curtis, our executive pastor became friends with someone who had a special ability and that changed everything. So I, it wasn't me. It, I didn't hold his feet to the flame. I mean, you hear how I talk. So I'm pretty aggressive. Uh, if you know the Enneagram, I'm an eight. So I, I definitely, I'm not afraid of conflict and I'm not afraid to say what I think. So I certainly had plenty of conversations with not just Curtis, but, but other leadership about, you know, where I kind of came like full force. Like we have a mandate, we have a responsibility and it didn't get me very far. Um, it really didn't, it may have drawn attention to it. And it, I'm sure it felt, um, to them like, okay, I wasn't going to go away quietly. And so that, you know, there's a noisy gong thing there, but it wasn't real advocacy. It wasn't real, um, building of a change in the way that we saw this community. It was more about, crossing a finish line, it was more about creating a program. It was all those things. It wasn't until I sort of I God plucked me out of the equation, got me out of the way, and landed a person in Curtis's, you know, world that was nonverbal, was non-ambulatory, was by all his standards, you know, a risk, mm-hmm. you know, a um liability risk, a Dangerous, you know, aggressive, all the things. And he became friends with her just in the parking lot of church, meeting her. And she would talk to him through his communication device or her communication device. I'm sorry. And that changed everything. So it wasn't until he really understood and he would say, You should have him on. He's so great. You should talk to
0: him. But he would say I do want to just quickly qualify that, you know. I asked this out of a sense of relationship with you, and also that in the show notes of this, we're going to have a video where yeah. you and Curtis walk through this entire experience. You know, this is something that I want yeah. to be really clear that yeah. Curtis's tension with this was not from any sort of um, no. mustache-twirling villain kind no. of place. No, oh, God no. Uh, no. but that what your church looks like now more accurately reflects what your community actually is, and yeah. what our I mean, point is: what God actually wants your church to look like.
1: Totally. And the statistics would also suggest that Curtis's perspective is the same perspective as 98% of churches and church leaders in America. So he's definitely not a mustache twirling villain by any stretch. And, and his hesitations were not wrong. They were not, they were legitimate. They were Mm -hmm. real. You know, he was thinking the whole church, he was, he had all the right questions, right questions. He, he was asking all the right things and his concerns were all valid. Um, but it it wasn't until relationship that he really softened and understood. And he would, he'll talk about in that video too. He talks about watching people greet in the lobby, um, and going towards someone in a wheelchair and how he just sat back and started recognizing, like, that's exactly what Jesus would have done. Mm. That's exactly, you know, what God would want for his church to, to look like. And so that was when he started saying there's, there's a community of people here that can teach us so much. And so then he started opening doors for resources and started opening doors saying yes to programs and all that stuff. But I, I, that was not me. It was definitely um, Gretchen and it was her relationship with him. And it was, beautiful. They still email each other and she lives out of state. And, you know, so all that to say again, it sounds kind of hokey, but that's the reality. And I think that's just another example of how we think that because we're able-bodied or because we are not neurodiverse learners that we somehow are in control and that we, it's our responsibility to solve the problem and create a program and the reality is we often just get in the way and if we would just love people and all people and open our doors to people god is going to do all the rest and we just have to like chill out a little bit and take a breath and um and not be afraid
0: the resilient disciples podcast is powered by awana Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode, and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening.